here safely, Lord, and uh, thank you for the wonderful church uh, that you uh, have us all in. Um, Lord, I thank you that Bobby's teaching today. Lord, please give him words to speak. And Lord, just please give us all ears to hear and that we at least take one thing from this lesson and not only just learn it, but apply it to our lives and do it. Um, Lord, I pray that you give us all safe rides home and that you give us open doors throughout the week to witness. Lord, I pray that you give Stephen safety as uh, he's coming home tomorrow. Jesus, amen. amen. All right, if you could open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. We're going to do a little bit of review of last week and then the rest of the fun details that we did not get to last week. So while you're turning there, can somebody tell me who we talked about, who we looked at last week? It's all over your study sheet, but Lydia. Solomon. So we looked at Solomon, and by way of review, you can see up at the top, we had the title of uh, last week's message was Solomon's Progression and Destruction. All right, and there were five key points that we looked at. The first was the handwritten warning in the Bible. What was that back in Deuteronomy? Can somebody refresh my mind because I forget. What was the handwritten warning? For one, why was it hand? Okay, Hannah. Yep. Yeah, it was essentially everything that Solomon did that was detailed in 1 Kings, he was warned all the way back in Deuteronomy not to do. And what was interesting about that? What did it say in Deuteronomy that the kings had to do? What did they have to do with what was written from Genesis through Deuteronomy? What did every king have to do? Huh? Yep, they had to make their own copy and then read it. Every single day they had their nose in this book, their own handwritten copy. So do you think Solomon knew the warnings? Absolutely. And the example is, practical application is, do you think that you guys know the warnings? You get them every single week, Sunday and Wednesday. And then what was Solomon's one request of God? It's on your sheet. Come on, guys. Wake up. Wake up. Wisdom. Okay, and remember, God gives him wisdom, but at the end of that, there's a warning. He said, but do not turn away from what I've commanded you to do, or the nation of Israel, everything will be destroyed. And then in the third point, a glimpse of his heart. Okay, remember Solomon had two things built. What were they? Huh? You guys got to project. I can't hear. Yeah, okay. A a temple, a house for God, and then a house for himself. Which one did he spend more time doing? House for himself. Okay, so he was doing the right things, but his eyes, he was still focused on himself more. Then the building of his pride, we looked at 1 Kings 10, all his riches and the queen even coming to hear of all his wisdom, and you start to see Solomon's eyes turning towards himself. Okay? And it's really a beautiful picture, actually a hideous picture of Satan. And essentially what he did, leading worship, and then he starts to look at himself and he's like, Man, I want this worship. I want this glory. I want to feel good. And then that's all Satan needed. Satan gets control of his heart. Seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines or mistresses. The very thing that he wrote, a copy of from Deuteronomy, he went and did. He had horses, chariots, he had riches beyond measure. He had a thousand women. Unbelievable. A man that was born from a guy who had a, a heart after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. Very interesting. Remember one of the things, you know, as great as David was, could you imagine that conversation that Solomon had to have with his father? When he said, you know, how did you meet mom? How did you, how did you and mom meet? Tell me your story. 
The sins of David, even though even how righteous he was, they still affected Solomon. I can guarantee it. So the title of this morning's message, Spiritual Part 2, Believe the Warning. So we're going to look at point number one, Solomon's warning to us, okay, from the man who gave his heart away. He had everything the world had to offer. And I want to I try and make this easy to understand. So before you guys go out to eat at a restaurant, what do you typically do if you're as OCD with things as I am? Before you would go out to eat at a restaurant or before you would go and stay at a hotel or before you would go and see a movie, what would you do? Huh? Yeah, you'd look up the reviews. Okay, you'd look and you'd see, yeah, this looks like a pretty good movie or... Man, this restaurant, yeah, people complain about the service, the, the food sucks. Yeah, this hotel, they say that the pool's never hot. Or you, you read the reviews to see what it's like. I have to do that so I know what I'm getting into. Okay? But you read reviews of people who what? What did they do? They tried it. They did it. They experienced it. So last week we looked at everything that Solomon did. This week we're going to look at his reviews, his reviews of life, his his analysis of life. He went and had everything, did everything, had everything in his grasp, and then he wrote three books of reviews. So I want you to think of it like that. So the first point, avoid strange women. You guys are in Proverbs chapter 7. We weren't going to do a lot of detail into these, but because we have a whole, uh, a whole class on this, we're going to look at it in a little more detail. So Proverbs chapter 7, let's look at verse 4. So say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. Okay, so that's possess wisdom, possess understanding. Why? That they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through, through my casement, and beheld among the simple ones I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. So looks out the window and he sees somebody void of understanding, a simpleton. Somebody walking by completely oblivious to what's going on. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to pay attention. And he walks right into our house. And then verse 9 is key. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. What's interesting about that verse? When do these things take place? Does it say when the sun's up, when everybody's out walking? No. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. He says three different ways that, hey, it's night out, it's dark out. Nothing good happens after the sun goes down. Think about it. All the things that you struggle with, all the sins that you've committed, different things, whatever they are, most of them take place after the sun goes down, after mom and dad go to sleep, or if you're outside sneaking around, whatever, whatever you guys are doing, you know your heart, you know what you're doing, the majority of those things take place at dark. Why? Because for some reason you deceive yourself into it's being hidden more. It doesn't shine the light on your sin as much as if you were out at noon doing these things. There'd be more accountability if these things were happening at noon. Verse 10. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot. You guys don't know what a harlot is? A prostitute? And subtle of heart. Okay, so she goes right for the heart. She's subtle of heart. This woman, this person that you, that you come into contact with will deceive your heart. Tell you things that sound right. Make you feel good. Verse 11, she is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him, 
and with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with thee, with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. She's telling him everything that he wants to hear. Making him feel uplifted. And Solomon, Solomon writing this, I guarantee got this a thousand times. And he fell for it every single time. Verse 15, Therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, and with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our, full, our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves, ourselves with loves. I mean, does that, does that sound bad? It sounds nice. It sounds like it smells good. It would look good. Okay, it sounds romantic. All that garbage that Hollywood throws at you guys. This is it. But look at what's underneath. Verse 19. For the good man is not at home. He has gone a long journey. What does that tell you about her? She's married. He hath taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway. And here's the truth of the matter. As an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Completely blind, completely dumb, heading straight for the, heading straight for the slaughter. That's how dangerous fornication and sexual sin is. That's how dangerous it is when you start pursuing the wrong person. And that's how serious, that is, serious this is that you need to bring to God. We'll end verse 24. Hearken unto me now, therefore. So with all that, knowing that that's what's going to be coming after you, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. Avoid her completely. You see her over there. You see him over there. You go the complete opposite direction. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. You think you're strong enough to withstand her? You're not. Verse 27. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. How serious do you think this is? God doesn't mince words in the Bible. Solomon lived this. He saw the consequence of this. And this is his review of these types of women and men. Men can be the exact same way. Use this as a, as a filtration. Use this as a review for these types of people. Keep your eyes open. These things are serious. They're, verse 27, her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death. Who wants that in here for their life? But too often we walk around blind, deaf, and dumb to these things because the flattery of the lips, because of the tapestry, because of how romantic it sounds, because of, man, everybody at school would just think I'm cool. If This would be the perfect, perfect relationship, high school sweethearts. Whatever deception you have going on in your mind, it's leading you straight to death. It might not be a physical death, although it could be. It's a spiritual death. So avoid strange women. All right, He's very passionate about that. And then the next point, pursue, so on the flip side, a virtuous woman. All right, Let's flip over to Proverbs chapter 12. Start with a negative and end with the positive. Pursue a virtuous woman. Can somebody read verse 4 for me? 4-4. Four, four. Hannah. 
a crown to her husband. What do you guys think that means? Think about it. What, where does a crown go? On your head. You're proud of it. You wear it with dignity. Okay? He's not ashamed. Because, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Pains him. Flip over to Proverbs 31 and then we'll elaborate a little more. Proverbs 31. Now follow along in verse 10. It says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart, again, we're talking about the heart, of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. I mean, don't you guys, let's just be honest for a second. Don't you guys want that in a relationship? Somebody that you can, you can, lift up and be proud of your heart can trust and you don't have to worry about things you cannot find that outside of this book you cannot find that in in somebody who's not equally yoked so i want you to think if you couldn't tell your parents your youth leaders your discipler etc about him or her it's probably not a good idea if this person that you're talking to if this person that you're pursuing makes you ashamed that you can't tell people about him because you know, or her, because you know what they're going to say, probably a red flag. You know, I remember Brandy and I would be going, uh, walking around in Canal Fulton or at the mall or something, and we'd see people that either were in the youth or used to be in the youth, and they'd be with somebody. And all of a sudden, their countenance would drop. Whether it was somebody that was at the church that they knew they shouldn't be with, or was somebody that they went to school with. And we'd be walking and we'd say, hey, how you doing? They're like, oh, crap. And then they'd keep walking. It was shameful. They knew it was wrong. We know, and I know from being in high school, we know when we are doing wrong. We know. All right, number two, does your heart trust where he or she is at spiritually? Or is there doubt? This isn't on your study sheet. It's just some notes. Does your heart trust where he or she is at spiritually? Whoever you're pursuing Can you, without a doubt, know that they are where you are at spiritually or further? Where is their doubt? And if there's doubt, be honest. Take it to God. These things, they're they're hard to find. It says, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Don't think you're just going to walk outside and God's going to, yep, here she is, done, check the box, and your life goes on. This stuff takes work. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes God making sure that you're ready for that person. Think about it. Say you have this, God has this perfect spouse for you, but you're not where you need to be at spiritually. Your relationship with him is garbage. You think he's going to bring that person down with you? No. You're going to, you, I, I, I would love to, well, I wouldn't love to. I have a feeling we're going to look back and see different things that, you know, blessings that God withheld because we just weren't ready for him. And unfortunately, I have a feeling a lot of them is who we're, who we're going to marry. Understand, God doesn't force you to, be, to, to make decisions. God doesn't force you to be in certain circumstances in your life. You make those decisions, and God will bless you accordingly. If your spouse that God is preparing for you is where he or she needs to be at spiritually and you're not, she could pass you right on by. He could pass you right on by. 
God's not going to bring them down with you. That's why this spiritual aspect, this foundation is so key. And it starts before the relationship. It starts with you and God one-on-one personally. And then he will bring you the right, right person, which leads into the next point. Wait for the one whom your soul loveth. Flip over to Song, Song of Solomon chapter 3. Waiting is probably, that's probably the hardest aspect of this entire topic of biblical relationships. At least it was for me. I was debating of playing it, but how many of you guys have ever heard the song While I'm Waiting by John Waller? Unbelievable. Nobody. Dating yourself, Bobby. That's all. Is it? You're dating yourself there, man. If you guys have a note sheet and a pen, write it down on your study sheet and YouTube it when you get home. While I'm Waiting by John Waller. Elliot, I'm not seeing your pen move. Come on, man. I'm dead serious. You guys need to look that up, listen to it. That song changed my perspective. The lyrics in it are absolutely powerful. What you need to be doing while you're waiting for God to bring you your spouse. (coughs) Powerful stuff. But you need to wait for the one whom your soul loveth. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 4. It was but a little... We're not going to get into a lot of the context. We're just hitting some key points. It was but a little that I passed from them. But I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. It's a spiritual fit. You know it. And it's God ordained. That's the key. That's why a relationship, again, outside of the Bible does not work. It might work for a couple years, for 10 years, for 20 years whatever it is. But long term, it's, it's not God ordained. It's not the person that God has prepared for you. And you know when it's not. Okay? Raise your hand in here if you've ever been with somebody and you knew you shouldn't have been with them. Okay? We know. But why do we keep doing it? Why do we keep fulfilling that? Because we want it. We ignore the warnings. We're little Solomons, if you will. And the thing is, and this is the key, when you think it's right, when you're walking right, when you're spiritually aligned with God, when your walk is good, you've prayed to see where they're at spiritually, and everything's just checking the boxes. Okay, and this is where I was at with Brandy. When everything looks perfect, pray, 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 pray. You pray, Jay used to call it Pastor Jay the death prayer, and you pray it over and over and over and over. God, this looks perfect, this looks right. She fills my cup perfectly, everything. I, there's still some things that I don't know, but if this isn't right, I don't want to waste any more time. I want you to make it completely clear. If it's not right, you end it right now. And if you come to God with a sincere heart, he will answer that prayer. And I know Jay especially has at least three testimonies of God shutting the door immediately. Didn't waste any more time. I mean, how many of you guys want to waste your time just dating people to date? I mean, think about it. Is that you want to you want to date people into your fifties, or do you want God to shut down the relationship so that He can bring you the right person? Jay prayed that prayer with Courtney Boffman, and the door just completely wide went wide open. He's like, "Wow, how close are you with God? Can you pray a prayer like that? Do you want do you want that, or do you want to keep living the life you're living?" All right. And then the next point under point number one: everything that's absent from God is vanity. Flip over to Ecclesiastes, just to your left. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Verse 
one of those hikers' backpacks. A little water straw. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 10 and 11. It says, Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. This is Solomon. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Anything he saw, anything his heart desired, he got. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. Notice his labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. All of his labor, everything he did, everything his heart desired, all the riches, all the glory that he had in this world, was all vanity. Because he knew when he died, all that was staying behind. Every single bit of it. And unfortunately, I mean, think about Solomon. He's got books in the Bible just detailing his regret, and that his regret is going to go on for all of eternity. His horrendous testimony towards the end of his life is going to go on for all eternity. And unfortunately, he realized it too late. Flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Still going on with this vanity. And vanity is just a fancy word for emptiness. No value, no profit. It's like trying to grab something and trying to grab the air. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. And the context is without God. Your own profit, your own works. All is vanity. And then look at verse 13. If all, Again, every message that I do, there's one key that I'm like, if you get nothing else, get this. Verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, and this is the part that should give you goosebumps, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You boil everything down in this world, it comes down to these two points. Fear God and keep His commandments. Are you doing what you're doing with a healthy fear for God, and are you keeping His commandments? If you are, you're on the right track. God will honor that. God will bring you the right person in His time. You just got to wait on Him. But if you don't have a fear of God, if you read this book and you hear what's being preached up here and you see the consequences of your decisions and you don't believe them, you better watch out because you don't have a fear of God. Solomon didn't have a fear of God. It took him a thousand women to get to that point. Sin after sin after sin after sin after sin. How many does it take for you? How many warnings does it take for you? So then lastly, point number two, whose heart do you have? Whose heart do you have? So the first point, based on the books after the first point, who do you think the first one is? David. I want, we're, just, we're not looking at all these verses, don't worry. Flip over to Psalm 119. But I do want to highly encourage you to look at these verses throughout the week. And you're going to notice a, a huge tone difference between Psalms and Proverbs. The book of Psalms written by David, what's, uh, well, we'll look at it later. But the book of Psalms is like a book of application. It's a book of example by action. Okay, David did these things. It's I have done this. I have done this. I am doing this. I want this. 
Proverbs is the complete opposite. It's warnings. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this because I did this. Don't do this because this is what will happen. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. The whole book. Psalm 119. Very familiar verses. Verse 9. And ask yourself, as we read this, can you say this about yourself? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How do we clean up our way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. By obeying what the Bible says. Verse 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That's the recipe to success. That's what made David different than Solomon. That's what made David different when he committed the sin with Bathsheba than Solomon when he committed the sin with woman after woman after woman after woman. And the phrase, what's interesting is the phrase whole heart. You know, you do something with your whole heart. Heartily, you're 100% sold out. It shows up in, the, in Psalm 119 six times. Shows up in Proverbs as absolutely zero. Nothing. It's just interesting. Two completely different hearts. So whose heart do you have? David? And then your next point. Who do you think the next point is? Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs. And I want to encourage you, read these verses this week. Read through Psalms and see the difference in, in David's tone. Where he says, I have done these things. And Proverbs is like, or Solomon in Proverbs is like, I haven't done these things. You need to do these things. I'm warning you. Trust me. I've lived this life. I've made this decision. And I can tell you this consequence is absolutely true. Don't do this. Because this will happen. And it goes back to in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes fearing God. Keeping the commandments. Do you fear God enough to read this book? And then do you believe what it says? Because if not, you're on a path straight to hell, practically speaking, in your life. So Solomon. So flip over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Good night. Why do you guys do that? Freaking connecting all the markers. So I are flipping. We got David... <laughs> Probably your daughter, Bobby. Yeah. I'll spank her later. I'm just kidding. I'm not that big of a jerk. I want you to see the difference in how these two are described in Acts. So you guys are in Acts 13. You guys know this about David, but I want you to see where it's at. Verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them. So when he had removed Saul, is the context, talking about the kings. He had ra- he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. A man after mine own heart. He had that spiritual connection with God. That's, again, this section is so key, so pivotal. That's what made him different. David, he had that spiritual relationship with God. Now flip over to Acts chapter 7. I've never seen this before, and it's not a knock on Solomon, but it's just very interesting, the things that are said about David in the New Testament and the things that are said about Solomon. 
Verse 45. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Okay, David, verse 46, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But did David build that tabernacle? No, Solomon did. Verse 47, but Solomon built him in house. Okay, so that you would say that's a good thing, right? He built a house for the Lord. But look at the context. Look how it's used in Acts as an example. Verse 48, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. So what he did was good, but look at the picture that it presents. Solomon was all focused on the physical. There was that prayer back in 1 Kings. He, he prayed that beautiful prayer. It was a public prayer. And God acknowledged the prayer and said, thanks for blessing the house, but be warned. And he spent six more verses telling him, be warned, be warned, be warned, be warned. God knew it was physical. Solomon was putting on a show. David, it was deep down in his heart. David didn't care what people thought about. Solomon, that's all he cared about. It was all physical. He built a beautiful house for the Lord. I'm sure it was gorgeous. He had everything at his power. Everything, he had everything available to him. He'd pray these beautiful prayers, probably put on awesome sermons. But how do you think Solomon's prayer life was? His private prayer life? Probably pretty non-existent. How was David's prayer life? Read Psalms. How's your prayer life like? Do you come to church, button your shirt up, you know, put your belt on and your nice shoes and you sit down and you're, you take notes? Is that all it is? Or will you go home this week and read those verses in Psalms, read those verses in Proverbs and make personal application so that your spiritual connection can be that much closer to God so that he can make you into the person you need to be so he can bring you the right spouse? That's how serious these things are. Solomon was all worried about the physical, how everything looked. And it destroyed him. David made mistakes. But he was so spiritually connected with God that when somebody called him out on it, he's like, you're absolutely right. There were still consequences for that sin. But the things that are said about David, despite that sin, are amazing. You would think, you read a story, I remember the first time I read that as a kid. I'm reading that about David, I'm like, man, that guy's scum. Look what he did. He slept with somebody and then had her husband killed. Man, he should be killed. The rest of the Bible... It, 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 as for David's sake, for David's sake, for David's sake. He had a deep connection with God. He was quick to repent. So again, I want to ask you, how's your prayer life? This spiritual part all boils down to your prayer life, your relationship with God. Because that's where, that's where it's really honest. You know, nobody sees your prayer life. People see you come to church. People see you take notes. People can see you read your Bible. But how's your prayer life? How often do you talk with God? That's how real your relationship is with God. That's how you measure it. Just things you need to think about. So practically, as we're coming to a close, how does this work out spiritually with God? You have to be honest with Him. This isn't on your notes yet. Just some stuff I added in. You have to be honest with God. If you're coming to God with pre-motivated agendas, 
you're going to get garbage back. God wants an open and honest heart. So I want you to think, this, and these are just some points that I was thinking of when I was in high school, things I struggled with. And don't raise your hand, but how many of you are afraid of missing out? You're afraid of missing out on, and it's, it's okay to think this sometimes. You're afraid of missing out on what the world has to offer. You're afraid of, of missing out on what's going on. You're afraid of not being with the in. You're afraid of, maybe that relationship could work out. You're so afraid of missing out because God's not enough for you. Some of you are so afraid of being alone. That was me. I was terrified of being alone the rest of my life. So I would justify certain sinful mistakes, and it cost us. Again, I shared a couple weeks ago, there were a lot of repercussions that came from that. And the fact was, God wasn't enough for me. And some of you, and again, this goes back to the honesty, are afraid that God will change your course and you really don't want to change. And that was Solomon. Some of you are so afraid that by being honest with God, he's going to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. That's a scary place to be. Because you've already made up a decision in your mind of what you want to do. And there's no amount of preaching, there's no amount of uh, counseling sessions or anything that can change that. You have to make that decision. So spiritually, would you be honest with God? Would you take these verses in Psalms and Proverbs and read them this week and be honest with Him? And If you're struggling in these areas, again, be honest with you. He will bless you in these. Take these applications. Don't let them just be words on a paper, ink on paper. But let them be something that changes your life. So in closing... Just like he did with Solomon, God wants us to choose to serve him with our whole heart. There was a battle going on for his heart, and there is a battle going on for yours. God is giving you wisdom through his word, by the instruction of your parents, through the leadership in this ministry, in discipleship, and by surrounding you with godly friends. He wants the best for you, flat out. But there is an enemy that wants to turn your heart to other gods. We can't be naive about the spiritual warfare going on around us. Are you an easy target for Satan? Really think about that. The things that you struggle with, the things that set you off, the things that you know if a strange woman came up to you or or a a man trying to take you off your course that you would struggle with, you're like, yeah, that that would push my buttons. I think I'd give in to that. Take that to God. It all goes back to honesty. Do you really want what's best for you do you want what god wants for you are you content going down the self-destructive path that you're going down and again i don't i don't know where all of you guys are at i would like to think that you would be seeking advice from leaders people that have gone through and experienced this just like solomon did and i have a feeling the advice you'll get is pretty much what the bible says the bible was true three thousand years ago back when solomon made these mistakes And it's still true today. These things that he warns about, about your heart, keeping your heart, they still apply today. And we're going to end with Proverbs chapter 4. Because I think I skipped a blank. But it's all by design because this is where it all comes home. It's work hard to, any of you guys know that blank? Keep. Work hard to keep your heart. I know you guys hammer this verse in here. 
Verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Out of it are the issues of life. Your heart's going to determine where your life goes. Are you giving into it? Are you allowing it to fulfill its lustful desires? Are you aligning your heart with God's heart? Are you so inundating it with the word of God that you can't help but to do what's right? So it's really a reality check. I want you guys to really think about yourselves. Think about your heart and how valuable it is. We flippantly throw it around. We, we, we give it away without even thinking twice of it. It's one of the most valuable assets you have. Guard it. Keep it. If you're not in a relationship right now, that heart ought to be tied to God. And if you are in a relationship right now, that heart ought to be tied to God. So be honest with yourself. How's your prayer life? Where's your heart? What do you need to be honest with God about? What do you need to be being honest with your discipler about? Talk with somebody about it. Do not live in a bubble. It is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. So the spiritual, keep your heart with all diligence. It's that important. And the Bible is true. All right, let's pray. Dear God, as we... uh, as we looked at the life of Solomon and uh, just the decisions that he made, it's, it's really chilling when you think about the, uh, the decisions that he made and the consequences and how those consequences are still true today. How really there's, there's nothing new under the sun. The approach of the devil is still the same. He wants to draw as many people away from you as possible. Lord, I pray that that would not be true with everybody in here. God, that these, these truths would, uh, again, just pierce their hearts. Lord, these things are so serious. Because at the end of the day, the marriage is supposed to be a, a beautiful picture of our salvation relationship with you. And too often we muddy it up. We make a mockery of it. We take something that you intended to be a blessing, Lord, and we turn it into a curse. I pray that that wouldn't be true for anybody in here, God. That you would uh, just convict them. Um, if they're in a situation that they know they shouldn't be in, because the stakes are high. The stakes are their soul, their heart, Lord. I don't know where they're at spiritually, God, but you do. So I pray that uh, you would not allow them to go another day without their heart just being pricked. It would be hard for them to kick against those pricks, that they would have to seek out counsel, God. Um, so, Lord, I just pray for uh, for guidance as leaders in this uh, youth group, Lord, that you would... Uh, just give us a sense of, uh, of the pulse of this group, Lord, so that we can better minister unto them. And uh, we just thank you for your word and uh, just the comfort that it brings and the guidance, Lord, and the warnings um, that you don't leave us on this earth uh, just blind, deaf, and dumb, Lord, that you, you, give us, you give us every instruction, everything that we need spiritually, God. And I pray that that would be enough. That would be enough for everybody in here. So we thank you and uh, pray for Pastor Tom this morning um, as you just uh, continue to work on his heart. Um, so that you can reach uh, more and more people in the service. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.